Father, we thank you that you are the faithful. We thank you that you're the God who we can trust in. You're the God who's provided for us. You're the God who's leading us. You're the God who's releasing us, Father, into fresh experiences of your spirit. So we ask, Lord, today stir something in our hearts. Release us afresh. Lord, faithful one who's held us through the difficult times, Lord, also lead us into those times when we would bring glory, much glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's praise the Lord just as we take our seats. It's wonderful to be back here with you. Uh, just a quick mention of the upcoming evening school uh, courses that are starting in three weeks' time, the 23rd, 4th, and 5th of April. 23rd is when the next Living Free starts. Then on Wednesday evening, we've got Creative Communication, which is going to be a focus on how we can apply and use different creation of communication techniques to engage with different audiences, whether it's in the online community or in the offline community. You know, it's great to actually be able to talk to people face-to-face and share some of the things that God has placed in our hearts. And so that course is really going to be tailored to equipping you to communicate in a wide variety of ways. Then the Thursday evenings, as you know, these courses run for five weeks plus a Saturday. Well, the Knowing the Sun program uh, unit is going to be available on the Thursday evenings. Now, knowing who Jesus is, is the central issue of our time. We've looked at it recently in the 2.30 service, but if you want to go deeper, if you want to unpack the theology and scripture behind the person of Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, and the impact that that has in our lives, then that's available for you Thursday evenings, where Bruce Atkinson will be teaching that. Now, these are part of our evening school program. They can be taken individually, or they can build towards a full certificate in biblical studies. So basically, you go into Bible school in the evenings. So they're available for you. Do look at page 13 in the Revival Times for more information on that. Well, we're starting a new series today, and if you want to find out more information about the, the entirety of the series, it's just here on the second page of the Revival Times, uh, Championing the Vibrant Church. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. The body of Christ. Take a moment. Think about what you believe the body of Christ should look like. Think about it. What should it look like? It should be full of people of every nation, of every color, of every age, of, of males and females. It should be the people that are on the earth but are brought together for one purpose, to live in a way which glorifies Jesus. And if we were to think about what it should look like, we would imagine that everybody would walk around on clouds and that they would always have a smile on their face, and that they would always be happy, or some of us seem to have that kind of a conception about what the body of Christ should look like. We, we position it or picture it as, as something perfect, full of grace, full of truth, full of glory, full of power. Now, some of that is an aspect of the body of Christ that belongs in the kingdom when it's come in its fullness, when we have been placed in the new heavens and the new earth. Some of that belongs here today. But quite frequently, when we look at the body of Christ as is, we find that it's a bit far short of that. Maybe instead of grace, we find legalism. Maybe instead of truth, we find people that hold questionable values. One of the most common things associated with the church in the West is that there's no power. We're called to be a church, a body that is full of the power of God, and yet there's no power. And it's interesting that when we see things as they are, it actually begins to highlight to us what they should be like. 
don't know if you've ever thought about this, but when we see divorced parents, we would often suggest to ourselves or think to ourselves, you know what, I'm never going to go that way. I'm going to learn the lessons from the negative so that I can apply the positives in my current situation. Or when we see somebody that stumbles, maybe they are, their kid is causing trouble in the, in the shop and they get frustrated with their kid, you might think, you know what, I'm never going to be like that with my children. It's often in the negatives that we see the positives or how things should be. And when we look at the church, we see perhaps that it's not quite where it should be, but we want to get there. And when we were thinking about this issue of what should the church look like, what does the vibrant body of Christ look like, as a team we began to consider some of the core issues which we believe will enable not just us but yourselves to step into a fullness of the experience of the body of Christ. You'll get to where I'm going in just a bit, uh, if I'm not making sense just yet, but I hope I am. But let me just put this out there for you. This is a blessed house, Kensington Temple. Anywhere you go in the world, people who know KT, a wistful smile will come over their face. You know what? I remember that one time, all that year, all that couple of years that I was able to spend in KT. And you know what? I was blessed. You know, the word of God that you teach there, or the, the sense of the presence of God, or the miracles that happen, you know what? We, we, just, we just miss that place. I was speaking with a couple who are close friends of mine. They're in the States recently, and it just said, you know what? We've been searching everywhere, but we haven't found a church just like KT. And they've been in church for 10, 15 years. We're in a blessed house. But you have a responsibility to get the most out of this house that is available for you. Just like when we look at the body of Christ, you have a responsibility to bring about the body of Christ in its fullness as Jesus intends. We have a responsibility. And that comes out of a few different attitudes that we're going to look at over the course of this series. The first that I want to put out there, well, the message I'm going to be preaching, so I won't preach it in this introduction, but is that you do have something to give. You have something that you can contribute to the body of Christ to make it vibrant and living. You have the opportunity to sow your life into the house and find a place where you can build a solid foundation. That's what we're going to look at next week. There are some issues. Perhaps it might be that when we are looking at the church and seeing it's not quite as we would hope, that perhaps if there's no discipline, things start to come out of our mouths and our ears begin to get hungry for gossip and slander and, oh, you know what, it's not that good and this wasn't that good, oh, you know. That is going to hinder your experience of the church. That will be looked at in the third message. And the fourth one, how do we deal with it when we come across people that just... You know those people where you wish you could say, I thought you were a Christian? Those kind of people. That's what we're going to look at in message four. But all of those four work together to unblock and move out of the way some of the hindrances which keep us from experiencing the vibrant church as individuals. We're in a vibrant church, but how do we get the most out of it? We deal with some of these things right throughout the course of this series. So I hope that makes sense for you. Now, I want you to specifically today think about a church that is vibrant. Think about a church that is full of life. And what does that look like for you? Does that look like there's a minister here on fire for God, shouting their head off so loud perhaps that you might feel it's anointed or not? 
so much so that you might feel the presence of God or not? Is that your conception of a vibrant church? One person anointed by the Spirit. Or is your conception of the church a bit deeper than that? I would like to suggest to us that if we were to start dreaming about the body of Christ in its fullness and what it would look like, for me it would look like every single one of you being fully you in the way that you contribute to the church, in the way that you participate in church. For us to become a truly vibrant church, you know what? We need life at every single level. Just like you need every single cell of your body to be alive in order for you to be living, so is the same with the church. Every single individual alive in Christ, fully flowing in the gifts and talents that God has placed in them. Because you know what that looks like? It looks like us being able to love one another. It looks like us being able to encourage one another. It looks like bringing our specific talents, our specific giftings for the advancement of our brothers and sisters. Whether you're a plumber, an electrician, you know, it's, it's a hard thing trying to have a shower when your lights have blown in the bathroom and the lights are off. You need a plumber. Just like it's a hard thing to know how to follow Jesus and walk with Jesus when perhaps the light of the word isn't being shone on our path. We need a preacher and we need a Bible to read ourselves. What does it look like when the whole church begins to operate fully in their giftings? That, for me, is what a vibrant body would look like. And I think a lot of us would actually, if we were to be honest, at some level say that we dream of that. We dream of being able to bring us and our best gifts to the church. And for me, the church should entirely be a place where we fulfill dreams where we see those things that are in our heart, we see them come to be a reality. Now, I know the reality that a lot of people feel like their dreams perhaps have been taken away by, by disappointment or they feel that God has let them down in certain areas and so they've just stopped dreaming. It might be that your dream that you had in the first place was one of wealth and power and of fame and therefore, you know, when you started to hear Jesus say that it'd be difficult for a, a, a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven, harder than a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. You probably start thinking, oh, you know, oh, I've got to conform, just get rid of all these riches so that I can just squeeze through that little eye of a needle in order to get there. But you see, I believe that every dream submitted to the Lord will be not just for your enjoyment, but also for His glory and for the glory of the body of Christ. Every dream, actually, that you've got in your heart has at the core of it something that will glorify and honor the Lord. Now, if you believed and were dreaming about much riches in the first place, well, let's just adjust it a bit. How about, about dreaming for much riches to glorify Jesus through supplying His kingdom, supplying for His kingdom? That small adjustment so that our lives are lived for the glory of Jesus. Well, then go for it. Go all out to prosper in the things of God so that you can sow into his kingdom. What about if you're creative or an artist and you think, you know what, you know, I paint or I draw. What, what can I use that for in the kingdom of God? Well, you can use it to convey imagery of heaven or to communicate to somebody the, the beauty or perfection or challenge of difficulties that are going on in different people's lives and show them the reality through an image, through a picture of how God can reach into different situations. 
Every gift submitted can be brought for the glory of Jesus. And so our focus today is, how do we become people that inspire those around us? The assumption at the beginning is that I'm going to be able to inspire you today, which I'll try to do, see how we go. I was at Elim Conference just last week, which is, uh, we're, we're an Elim church, we're part of the denomination, uh, Elim denomination, 600-odd uh, churches right across the land, and our senior minister, Colin, was, was ministering and preaching, and he was speaking on the topic of the generations to a mixed audience. We had those that were 80, 90 in the room, right down through to those that were as young as 12 and 13. They brought everybody together for this final celebration, and he was preaching on the generations and the joining of the generations. And he brought out that powerful verse at the end of Malachi that the Lord would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. Now, I've seen Colin preach literally, quite literally, probably a thousand times or more. So watch him every Sunday, two or three services or five services as it used to be. Every time we've traveled, I've heard all of his messages, sat with him when he's ministered, sat in different meetings with him when he's ministered. And in this situation, I was inspired. Because this was a man of God standing up there, making a call to the different groups in that body. Some young, some old. He got the kids to come out first under the age of 21. And then he got all the adults over the age of 50 to come out. And he asked them to stand together and to pray for one another. And he said, I want those of you who are older to apologize vicariously on behalf of perhaps adults that had let the young ones down to apologize for their shortcomings and vice versa as part of an act of turning hearts of fathers to sons and sons to fathers. Now, for a minister to stand up and say, you know what, we've made mistakes. For someone to stand up and say, we've fallen short, and on behalf of, we would like to apologize. That was powerful. And the anointing in that room, people were just weeping and praying for one another, and I was inspired. As I looked at an example, somebody who was saying truth and living truth. And he called out one young guy to pray with him while everyone else was praying. And you could see the anointing on that one young guy. He was weeping as the Lord met with him. I was inspired. Because that was Colin Dye at his peak on a national platform moving in the gift that God has placed within him that of being a father to a generation and being a voice to the church, using that preaching gift to unite people of different age groups for the common purpose of the glory of Jesus. Now that's Colin at the peak of his game, inspirational. What about us? What about how, do, how we influence those around us? One of the things that's challenged me and encourages me so much about Kensington Temple is this, is that there's a message for everyone here. You come into KT, you sit here for three or four weeks, and in that three or four weeks, you will undoubtedly come across the call 
the call to be a leader. You'll undoubtedly be challenged, get on living free and mastering leadership because you're called to be a leader. You know, some people are funny. They look at the salvation and they're grumbling. Oh my God, you know, come to KT, just can't sit in the 11 o'clock and enjoy the word. They're always asking you to become a cell leader. They're always putting the pressure on to become a cell leader. Do you know what? Go to any other church and observe who is in leadership. They're all dressed right. They look a certain way. They have their hair done a certain way. They speak exactly the same as their senior minister or senior leader. And there's only 10 maximum. No one else is a leader. Everyone else is the congregation sitting observing. In KT, we literally put the message out there. Every single one of you is welcome to take up a position of leadership. Can, can you think, just think about that? Think about the implications of that. Think about what that means. Is actually we believe as a church in you. We believe in it as a church in the call of God upon your life. We believe as a church the fact that you can be trusted, not just with yourself, but also with people that need to follow Jesus. That you can be trusted to minister the word of God. You can be trusted to release the gifts in other people that haven't yet stepped into those giftings. Now, that's what we believe. It's what we live. It's what we're proclaiming all the time. Because we believe that you are inspirational and can be inspirational to those around you. Now, the reality is you probably don't think that about yourself. Or maybe not just yet. Or maybe you're somewhere on the journey to becoming somebody that believes that about themselves. But you have the capacity to inspire people. Those around you, your family, your colleagues, those people that you might just see on occasion on your, on your travels. See, we could go look at YouTube, for example. You can go on YouTube and you can type in inspirational stories. And you'll come up with thousands of inspirational stories. Nick Vujovic, many of you will know about him, the guy who was born with no arms, no legs, yet goes around preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ because he knows that God loves him. You go on there and re see people who've gone through massive weight loss programs and lost hundreds of pounds and turned their life around. You might see the guy, this guy's pretty cool, he's paralyzed from the waist down and he races motorbikes in the top motorbike races um, dirt bike, motorbike races in America. Paralyzed. You'd see all of these amazing peak level stories of people that have gone against all of the odds to make it, to inspire, to send out a message of something different. But they've all gone through a journey to get there. And this is where I want to begin to challenge you and ask you to begin to think about how you can inspire because you're all on the journey. You're all going somewhere. You're all fighting through challenges. You're all looking towards where Jesus is calling you. And maybe right now it's not great. Maybe right now you're thinking to yourself, heaven's above, my marriage falling apart. My education's out the window. I've got this addiction, that addiction. I've uh, fallen from grace. 
you know, you can fall from grace, but grace will go right to where you are and pick you back up again. Jesus will go right to where you are and restore you. Now, it might not be easy to come back from that kind of a fall, but Jesus is right there with you. And you can get right back on that journey to go into the place where you can be an inspiration again. And actually, it's when you're battling. It's when you're going through those things. It's when you're stepping out of the difficulties that you will inspire those around you. To inspire, you must have influence. To have influence, you must have gone through an experience which has laid a foundation and relationship with those around you that you're wanting to inspire. See, that time of preparation, that time of foundational laying is vital because otherwise you're just talking words. But secondly, if you don't have people that you're in relationship with to share, to inspire, then it's just going to remain with you. The challenges, the things that you've gone through, they're your challenges, never there to inspire somebody else. And so you get the point that I'm putting out there for you, that as Jesus takes hold of your life, as Jesus starts to bring you forth, as Jesus starts to set you out on the, the journey that he's laid before you, two things. One is know that it's part of laying a foundation for you. And secondly, begin to reconnect with the world around you or deepen the relationships that you're already in. Because that thing that he's bringing you through, it's going to inspire others. That thing that you're going through, it's going to release others into their freedom, their liberty, what God is calling them to do. Don't ever just go through it on your own for the sake of going through it on your own. Everything that you go through can inspire somebody around you. And so begin to re-engage with the world. I say that because so many people, when they go through difficulties, they back right off. You know what? I'm the divorcee. I don't belong in church. You know what? I'm the one that had the affair. I don't belong in church. You know what? I'm the one that has the drug problem, alcohol problem. I don't belong in church. I'll come back when I'm 100% holy again. Good job, good luck getting there. Let's be honest, nobody has made it back to the 100% holy without the body of Christ around them, loving them, encouraging them, inspiring them so that they can inspire others again. So we're going to take a couple of lessons. Hopefully, I'll get done by four. We'll see how it goes. But we want to look a little bit at Paul. We want to look a little bit at Timothy. We could take hundreds of weeks to talk about leadership, but we're just going to try to cram it into a 25-minute message in Jesus' name. First thing, every time you go through a difficulty, every time you go through a challenge, take it as part of your preparation. Now, I've seen it quoted as though it was said by C.S. Lewis, I haven't gone away to check this, so I might be lying. You might go away and check it and find that it wasn't quite him who said it, but the statement still holds true. Each and every day that we face feels like nothing changes. But then when we get to the end of a year, two years, five years, and look back, we see how everything has changed. I know what that feels like. Part of this... Uh, Telford conference that we were at, I got ordained as a reverend, so you can now call me Gabriel. <laughs> but officially, I've got that title as well. But that was the culmination of three and a half years of training, of preparation, of ministry, of preaching, of baptizing, of getting people married, praying, all of that kind of stuff that we do as part of the ministry. 
And every single day for three and a half years, it felt like another day, another day, another day of getting to do great and awesome stuff. I love everything that I get to do. It's brilliant. But then when I got to that day and had to get up and give a 90-second speech with Rebecca by my side, that was brilliant. But I look back and I thought to myself, oh, my days. So much has changed in three and a half years. I can barely recognize myself a year ago, let alone three and a half years ago. And all of us would have a similar story. We get to a point, and if you were to stop now and look back, you'd think, oh, my goodness. So much has changed. All of that is part of your preparation. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. Finally, we get to the scriptures. A little bit late, but we're here. And there's lots from here on in. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the thing that you have learnt from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Now, this is Paul. Now, Paul today still inspires and encourages and admonishes and challenges and motivates all of us. So imagine what it was like being Timothy. And this is the guy who just takes a dirty cloth out of his pocket and gives it to somebody and they take it away and somebody gets healed. And he sat there as his young disciple receiving this awesome letter from Paul. Now, if you read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, you see the amazing encouragement and belief and value that Paul places on Timothy and then exhorts him to. But imagine Timothy sitting there getting this letter, a letter from the anointed Paul. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. How many of you today want to be a leader? Some of you don't want to be a leader, you're not quite sure. Are you waiting for it to the trick question and you're kind of just worried? That's a bad preaching device. I'm really sorry that I've used that in the past. And I've used it again. No, I haven't used it again today. The thing, that, thing is, leadership, awesome. When I see people that want to step into leadership, I want to encourage them all the way. There are some people that I see that want to step into leadership. And I do have a caution about them because they don't want to first be led before they become leaders. They don't want to first be inspired or discipled before they inspire or disciple others. Now, we believe that everybody should be a leader and is called to leadership. And the question that I would ask any leader in the 300 or in the church as we start to uh, multiply the leadership through the house, I'd sit down with them and ask them this question. If I was to quit what I'm doing and start to follow you, would we be following Jesus? Now that question is the most important question. 
because that's what this is all about. We're all about following Jesus and, and going after Jesus. And I've asked that question in the 300, and they looked at me confused because <laughs> they weren't sure. Oh, my God, would we? Would we? I hope so. We need to be led by the Spirit of God. The first criteria, if we're going to be people that inspire anybody, is that we need to first be led and inspired by the Spirit of God. And that means we have our foundation in the Word, and we have our relationship with the body of Christ, such that we are walking in truth and integrity by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Why do I say that? Because Paul's first exhortation to his young disciple Timothy is to be strong in grace. Not strong in your personality, your giftings, your history, your talents. Be strong in grace. Some people are trying to be leaders out of their gifting, their personality, the things they've achieved. Be strong in grace. Why would I emphasize that point? It's because sometimes we need to chuck it all in in order to start to get strong in grace. Philippians 3, verses 4 through 11. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, that if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul said to Timothy, be strong in grace. That means everything else is rubbish compared to Jesus. It means that our ability to inspire and to lead other people must first come out of our knowledge that all that we are is because of who he is. Why make that distinction? Because I've just been trying to affirm you that the gifts, the talents, the, the creativity, the, the, the stuff that is in you can be used for the glory of Jesus. Well, it needs to start from this origin point of being aligned to Christ, of being aligned to grace, because otherwise it's all going to be about you. How can I inspire people to follow me? I'll say the boldest things. I'll be the loudest. I'll be the strongest. I'll do the difficult work because I want you all to follow me. Now, all of that stuff is great only when it's aligned to Jesus. So Paul's first words when he is inspiring and motivating his young disciple, Timothy, be strong in grace. Being strong in grace is going to have some direct ramifications on your life. It's going to affect and challenge your righteousness or your sense of righteousness. See, self-righteousness is going to stumble you. But the righteousness that comes by faith that Paul talk, talked about, 
though it was actually the foundation from which Paul ministered, I determined not to know anything else except Christ and Him crucified. That righteousness that we get from Jesus, that's where we begin. For you to truly inspire and release other people into who they're called to be, you need to know who you are first in Jesus. That means this, that you are fully forgiven. We'll keep saying that until it drops from your head. Oh yeah, they keep saying that into your heart as an experience. You know, the whole reason that we can sit here as a new humanity, as those that have been set free from sin, new creations in Christ Jesus, is because we've been forgiven. Knowing that at every single level of our life. Righteousness, that will come forth from us being strong in grace. And then some other consequences will happen. Purity will start to flow out of our lives. Purity of motivation, purity of action, whether you're talking about your motivations for desiring to be a leader or your motivations for why you talk with members of the opposite sex or your motivations for why you say certain things in the office, to get promotion, to make other people look bad. All of that will get purified by the Spirit of God that's in operation in you. This is my favorite one, integrity. Can anyone tell me what yes means? Yes means yes. Can anyone tell me what no means? You know what, that three-letter word and that two-letter word, if you can learn how to use those two words, you are on the way to inspiration. Well on the way to inspiration. See, integrity is something that underpins everything about you. If you were to inspire people, it's because they have to know what you're saying is equal to what you are. And if you say yes, but you mean no, or you say no, but you mean yes, no inspiration flowing there. If people don't believe you, then everything that you'll say rings hollow. No, 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 I promise this time, I, I swear on my life. Do you know why you're swearing on your life? Because you don't believe you. Because you know that unless you say, I swear on my life, I'm not actually going to do this. And then when you let that one down, then it becomes, I swear on my mother's life. Or I swear on God in heaven and on earth beneath. Because you know that each time you don't believe yourself more and more. When you walk in integrity, your yes equals yes and your no equals no, it leads to trust. See, you know what it's okay to say? No, I don't want to do that. Or no, I can't do that. If you, someone says to you, hey, you know what, I'm, 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 uh, I'm going out with some friends on Friday, we're going to go watch a film. Do you want to come? Yeah, I'll be there. Film starts at 7 o'clock, all right? See, so we'll meet 10 to 7. Okay, I'll be there. Don't worry. Yes, 10 past 7. They're still waiting outside for you, missing the film, while you're sitting at home watching a pay-per-view movie or some sport football game. No text message. They're, they took you on your word. Yes. No. No, I can't come. Oh, that's a shame. I know but I still can't come. Great. I know where I stand. You know where you stand. 
integrity undergirds any right that you have to be an inspiration because it leads to trust. That's an outflow of this Spirit of God, the strong in grace working on the inside of you. There are some things that will change on the inside of you so that you can become this person that inspires other people around you. And that's mostly why we're in the church being in in cells, so that we can have that character and that foundation laid in us by the Word of God. And that's well and good. Keep going for it. That lays a foundation in you. But then we start to look around and think about how do I get to be an influence? And this is where I want to really begin to engage us. How do we actually, once we're laying that foundation, how do we begin to step out? How do we begin to operate in this place of inspiration for those around us? Now, let me be very clear on this point, that all of you have your own race to run. All of you have your own race to run. I don't want you to run my race, and I don't want to come and run your race. See, this is about understanding that in the kingdom of God, there is room for individuality, and there is room to do stuff which keeps you fresh and inspired. So you might not be sitting there thinking, oh my God, my dream is to become like Gabriel to be able to preach on the platform. I'm sure that's not many of your dreams out there. But that might not be a dream because it doesn't inspire you. I don't really want to do public speaking, you know, talking about the word of God all the time. I'd much rather be out there talking about homeless issues or social action, social care, or the, being a voice for the voiceless, or looking after those that are broken. That's where my passion is. That's where my inspiration is. Or I'd much rather be talking about the latest technology and how we can use the latest technology to communicate the gospel. That's really what gets me inspired. See, that's your own race. Please, 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 please run your own race. Because the race that I'm running, my race, I'm always going to beat you every time because it's my race. The race you're running, you're going to beat me every time because that's your race. See, when we start to challenge you and call you to become inspirational people, we're not trying to narrow 1,000 people down into 10 specific roles. You can be the pastor, you can be the worship leader, you can be the steward, and yes, you can count the offering because we trust you. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about every single person running the race that they're best at running. You are the best at being you. You're better than everybody else at being you. So take a moment and pause and stop trying to be like the person on your left or your right or the person that is on the other side of the room that you're looking at and thinking, man, I want to know where they shop. Don't worry about that stuff. Find your race. And begin to run your race. And when you get into your race, let me challenge you to do this, to run that race with everything you've got. See, because I love looking around and seeing people that are running the race that they've been given, and they're throwing in all of their strength. They're throwing in their energy. They're throwing in their time because they're doing exactly what God has made them to do. Don't settle for anything less than that. Because you know what? The, the reality is, let's just be honest, we can be lazy sometimes. But don't settle for that laziness. Don't settle for this is the limit I've hit of where I believe I'm called to. Keep pressing on, whatever that looks like, whatever that means, but keep pressing on because you have something that you're going to break through into that will help other people and inspire other people. The guy who got out of his wheelchair and strapped himself onto a motorbike, I don't know how many times he would have crashed that bike before he learned how to ride it. 
but he kept on going on through. What do we need to do? What do we need to break through? See, when, this, is not, this is just us, KT, right? We work hard in terms of the ministry. Whenever we go to these conferences, the other pastors are like, how many services do you have on a Sunday? Yeah, we have five on a Sunday. And how many services are those you at? Yeah, I'm at all five. What? Uh, oh, we just have one. Because we, be, you know, we believe in the, the Sabbath and stuff, so we just have one service. So, and then we're off resting. Okay, so what are you doing on Saturday? Oh, that's also another Sabbath. Okay. And what do you do on Monday afternoons? Oh, we have that off as well. Okay, guys. <laughs> we have five on a Sunday. We'll be at work all day Monday and all the way through till Friday. See, when you start to push beyond the limits that you have, see, those guys, they have the limit of one service. When I first did five services, I'm sure Colin and Bruce, when they first did five services, oh, my God. But you get used to doing five. When you do four, it's like a walk in the park. It's like a holiday. Just a silly illustration, but you have limits that you can push way beyond. You are now, right now in a situation where you've got really good at what you're doing. You need to press beyond that and go for more. Step up into leadership. Start running your own cells. Start believing God for more people. Start believing God for multitudes of cells. Start believing God to, to start managing your department. Start believing God to grow your business beyond the five customers that you have. Start believing God that you would be able to look after the family and honor the family and work, or honor the family and study. Don't get into one track and this is all we do and that's all I'm ever going to do. Believe God to increase you because you've got so much more in you to bring to life. While you're in that race, let me just say this real quick. You do need to rest. Of course, you do need to rest. And it's healthy to rest. Uh, You see athletes, they will work out something like eight to ten hours a day, but then they will also make sure that they have to sleep eight to ten hours a day. And so if that means that in the, only, in the four hours remaining they have time to see you, they'll see you, and if they don't have time to see you, they won't see you. And that's the way it goes. Because they're making sure they're prioritizing the right thing, rest and work. We all need to prioritize the right things for ourselves. Rest, family, work, ministry, all of that needs to work together in the right kind of a context. So consider that. But also consider this, that in those rest times or in those times where you're just being with yourself, make sure you do the hard work that you need to do. If you've picked up unforgiveness, if you've picked up offense, if you've picked up uh, jealousy or comparisons with other people that you need to set aside to help you run your race better, you need to do that. Don't assume that you've forgiven everybody just because you're not angry with them right in that moment. Never assume that. Unless you know that you know that you've forgiven somebody, you haven't. Let me just put that out there for you. Because I can guarantee next time you see that person, he'll just be like, oh, you know, let me walk the other way around the church because I don't want them to see that I'm here today. That's the way we are. We need to be intentional about that forgiveness to help us keep being an inspiration. Because otherwise what happens is you just start dragging behind and everyone else is running off and you get worse. And, oh, you know, they just left me behind and they don't care about me anyway. And, you know, doesn't help you. Um, and... Yeah, that's everything that I've said that has to do with you. Because I believe that that's a lot of foundational work that needs to be laid to order to release you to be inspirational. But let me just say a few quick points about what happens when you now actually begin to engage. So you've dealt with, you're looking at the character issues, you're starting to run the race, you're starting to look around opportunities to inspire. But how do you inspire? Relationship, I made that point earlier. The second is 
be the example. Paul said, you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, and afflictions. You have carefully followed me in these things. Be somebody that somebody can follow. And when you're going that way, you'll find actually that things aren't going to go perfect. I'm sure that Paul wasn't in every affliction and challenge that he went through. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You're so wonderful. This is so great. All of us seem to have this sort of an idea, that we have to be, in church at least, yes, brother, everything's wonderful. If only you knew that right now, as soon as I leave here, I'm going to go get drunk. But right now, it's okay. And Monday to Friday, I'm just keeping myself propped up with paracetamol and maybe the odd up or downer because, you know, you know what? I just want to keep that smile on my face. Hallelujah, brother. Life gets real. And when life gets real, do you know how you can inspire people the most? When you get real about life. You know, George Verwa was at Elam Conference. Many of you will have heard of George Verwa, um, Operation Mobilization, hardcore missionary. He gets up in front of a thousand people that he doesn't know, men and women, and in his opening statements... I have a guy that is with me, travels with me wherever I go, young disciple for a year, uh, take them around with me, and they know about my struggles with pornography, that I've battled all of my life with pornography and I need to be really careful. This guy, I don't know how many thousands of churches he's planted. I don't know how well known he is, but pretty much everybody knows about Operation Mobilization if they don't actually know his name. He gets up there in front of people he doesn't know and owns up to perhaps one of the most well-kept secret sins of the church today. Now, that's someone that's inspirational because as he's going right through the challenge of doing glorious things for God and great things for God, he's also being real about life. If you're going through difficulty, inspire others by saying, you know what, this is really difficult. Family's breaking down, wife, me and the wife are arguing, kids gone off the rails. I'm still seeking God in the middle of this, but it's difficult. You know what that reality does for people? It inspires them with their own difficult lives. So we all got stuff that we need to go through. We all got challenges that we need to face. How about being real with the challenge that you're facing? How about sharing that with, you know what, I'm not going to tell any because why not say anything, you know, they just take that secret and they just plaster it all over everywhere. That's one of the biggest excuses I've had or heard about why not be a leader. You know what, just put it out there. Their lack of integrity is their issue. Be wise about who you choose to talk to, but make sure that you're talking to somebody. Make sure that you're inspiring somebody. Because if you don't, who will? If you don't share life with them, who will? They're that difficult for a reason, because somebody's betrayed them, betrayed them, betrayed them. Maybe give them a little bit of trust. See what will happen. Um, yeah, I can make these points, and then we finish. One further thing. Allow people to be different. You have your race. They have their race. You are like you are. They are like they are. Don't get hung up on the fact that they don't look like you, talk like you, smell like you. Thank God that they don't. Because <laughs> you smell so heavenly glorious today. Don't get hung up on that. 
just get hung up on one thing. Are they running their race? Can I encourage them in their race? Can I encourage them to keep following Jesus? Can I encourage them to keep hope when it looks like their situation is against them? See, if you have faith in people like they have had faith in you, if you have faith in the fact that they can run their race just like you're running your race, then actually you'll be an inspiration to them. When you look across, don't be like, hey, hey, I'm running faster than you. Slow down, slow down. Be like, oh, man, you're doing awesome. Sister, you're doing awesome. Let's keep going. Let's keep encouraging each other. Let's keep inspiring each other. As long as they're running their race. And if they're not, how can I help you run your race again? Not how can I tell you off for being a failure and falling short of the glory of God, but how can I inspire you to get back in the race? Believe in those around you. Believe in the fact that they can get up and that they can run on with you. Because I believe if you took that step, opened your mouth, and began to encourage, not only would you be running your race, but all of your mates would be running your race with you. And you would get to where Jesus is calling you to in a way that would bring him much, much glory. In conclusion, I want to reaffirm, you have something to bring. You've got such great gifts and talents and abilities in you that when aligned to the Spirit of God and the purposes of God, you can inspire those around you. Will you bring what you got? Will you bring what you got to the church? Will you start to sow it into the church? Rather than just looking around saying, I'm just here Monday, you know, from 2.30, some of you come in at 3 o'clock. I know, and it would be great for you to be here to worship God at 2.30, okay? But some of you come in at 3 o'clock and leave at 4 o'clock, and that's it, and no church, and I don't know. I've been going to KT for two years. Nobody knows my name. Unfriendly Christians. Get involved. Bring what you got. Start to sow it into the lives of those around you. Come and hang out in the cafe afterwards. They've got the Bible school cafe downstairs. They've got Cafe Nero over the way. Come and hang out. Spend time. Start to bring your gifts. Start to get involved in self. Start to sow your life in. Start to encourage people. If you see people that are on their own, just encourage them. Don't sit down, thus says the Lord. Jesus' name. But be like, hey, listen, you look like you need encouragement today. How can I help you? Great way to start that conversation. But start to bring you to the game. Start to bring you because when you're in with the church, when you're bringing yourself to church, the church will be vibrant. The church will be full of life. The church will be much more than the pastor or teacher presenting from the front. It will be the testimony, the encouragement that flows around this place as all of you start to live as the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would start to stir us, Lord, where there are things that need moving out of the way, that they would move, whether it's been the fact that we've not surrendered ourselves to you or perhaps we haven't realized that we have to run this race. Lord, we pray, Lord, that those things would move and you would inspire us and challenge us and release us. And you'd enable us to not just become a runner, but to encourage others to run alongside us, to encourage others into their freedom and their liberty in Christ. And Lord Jesus, all together, we would become that vibrant body, that body where we are all together, where we are all contributing, where we are all flowing under the anointing. And Lord, that we would see your name lifted high as we love one another, do life together, and see your name glorified through the ways that we live. Lord, we give you all the glory for what you're going to do in and through us. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen.